Good evening, friends and church family. Glad to have you back with me as we study the book of Philippians. We'll be looking tonight at Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 18, and looking at what Paul has to say about how we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Last time, we looked at that passage where Paul commanded us, urged us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and we said, even though that can sound on the surface like we are to be working for our salvation. Actually, what Paul says there is that we work out our salvation. God has already saved us, but then we are called to live out uh, that salvation, that change that God has uh, worked in us as we have become new creations in Christ and uh, we are now to live like those new creations. So what does that mean? Well, uh, Paul's going to tell us part of what that means here in our text this evening, Philippians 2, 14 to 18. And then he's also going to uh, give us a practical example of what it looks like to imitate Christ in his humility and uh, self-sacrificial love, which he also showed us early in earlier in Philippians chapter two, and uh, he'll give us uh, another example, another model of that here at the end of our passage. Let me read for us Philippians two fourteen to eighteen. It says, "Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation." among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So, after commanding us, uh, instructing us in verses 12 and 13 that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, Paul now gives us a practical uh, command about how to do that, what part of that looks like. And what he says is that we are to do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, before we start to talk about the details of that, let me just point out that Paul is not really talking about anything different here than what he has been talking about through most of the letters so far. So sometimes because we read the Bible and study and teach the Bible in little sections so that we can dig into all the details, uh, we forget how uh, unified the text really is. So uh, the book of Philippians, just as an, as an example, would have been read out loud in church in one sitting. Everybody would have heard the, heard the whole thing from start to finish uh, at one time. And um, that's important to remember because Paul doesn't change topics as often as we might think that he does. Uh, many of the things that he says are... Uh, various ways of saying the same thing from different angles to make sure that we understand what's being taught and how we are to apply it. So, for example, when Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling uh, in verse 12, that's really the same thing as when he said in chapter 2, verse 5, that we are to have the mind of Christ, that is, that we are to 
uh, model our behavior on Christ's behavior. We're to act the way he acted. We're to think the way that he thought. Um, and it's also really the same thing as what he said back in chapter 1, verse 27, when he said, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. All of those things are saying, you now have a new identity in Christ. You now have been transformed by the gospel, shaped by the gospel. Uh, you now uh, are new creations in Christ. And so you need to live that out. You need to live in a way that fits the gospel you've believed. You need to live in a way that is shaped by the Christ you confess. You need to work out in practical ways the salvation that God has granted you, that he has accomplished for you. And so all of that means more or less the same thing, right? Live like a Christian. Live like somebody who belongs to Christ. Live in practical ways that fit with the doctrines you confess, with the uh, beliefs um, that you have received and embraced. Um, and so the one of the practical uh, ways we do that is that we stand united around the gospel. That's the end of chapter one. Another practical way we do that is we live with humility and we count others more significant than ourselves. That's the first part of chapter two. And then a third way we do that is by not grumbling or disputing. That's verse 14. Now, what does he mean there when he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing? Well, if you were to read maybe a study Bible or some commentaries, uh, you would see that not only verse 14, but also verse 15 is full of allusions and connections to things in the Old Testament. And one of the things that the commentaries point out is that this reference to not grumbling is almost certainly meant to remind us of the nation of Israel grumbling against God and against Moses in the wilderness. Remember when Israel had been brought out of Egypt at the Exodus by God, and they were brought into the wilderness. They complained about not having food, and uh, they complained against Moses, and they complained against God. They grumbled, 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 grumbled. And it's easy when we read those stories about Israel to sort of wag our finger at them and say, you know, if we had seen such great miracles, if God had done such wonderful things for us, we wouldn't complain. But an honest look at our lives shows that that's just not true, that we are all prone to complain and to grumble, just like Israel uh, did. And it's something that we have to fight against. It's something that as people who, we weren't just brought out of slavery from Egypt. We have been redeemed from our sins and set free from the power of sin. And we have been made new creations in Christ. And we have been promised eternal life and resurrection and and all these things. And so should we be joyful and happy and thankful all the time? Yes, absolutely. Are we joyful and thankful all the time? No, we're not. And so Paul has to remind us, look, you should not be grumbling and disputing. Now, he could be talking about grumbling against God, or he could be talking about grumbling against each other, or both. Uh, When he talks about not disputing, that's probably aimed particularly at how we treat each other, um, that we are prone to argue and quarrel and fight. It's not the only place in the New Testament Paul talks about that, addresses that issue. Um, And though there are certainly times when Paul um, 
models for us the need to stand on certain truths, he also reminds us that there are a lot of things we just don't need to fight about. We don't need to quarrel over. It doesn't do any good, and it's not loving, and it's not building up our brother. And so he says one of the ways that you need to work out your salvation is you need to do everything you do without grumbling against God and or your neighbor and quit disputing, fighting, arguing with people all the time. Uh, Now, one commentator said, and this this is a quote, he said, this command surely ranks as one of the hardest in the letter. It ought not to be, uh, but it is. It's difficult to do everything without grumbling or disputing. But that's what God calls us to do. Um, And then he goes on to say in verse 15, we're to do that, to do all things without grumbling or disputing, that, so that, you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. In other words, if to the degree that we can do this, that we can do everything without grumbling and complaining, that will set us apart as children of God in the midst of a world that is crooked and twisted. But if people see us um, serving our families, serving our neighbors, serving our churches, uh, enduring trials, being faithful to Jesus, not only in uh, relatively easy circumstances, but also in those seasons of uh, extreme difficulty, if we can do that, um, with a joyful heart and without being angry and fighting and quarreling with people all the time, um, that will stand out to people. Um, and that's a way that we um, will, uh, as he says later, um, you know, shine as lights in the world. Um, we want to be, now when he says that you'll be blameless and innocent, that doesn't mean that you'll be perfectly sinless because that's not true of any of us. That's not how that word blameless is used in the Bible. The word blameless means um, that there's no um, glaringly obvious fault or sin in our life. doesn't mean that we never have a bad attitude or that we never do anything sinful or we never need to ask for forgiveness. Uh, but it does mean that we have a godly character, that we have um, a, uh, a respectable um, character, that we um, are the kind of people that others would look up to or, or notice as the kind of people that they would want to be like or want their kids to be like. Um, innocent here also cannot mean perfectly sinless um, because Paul is very clear throughout all of his letters. Nobody is sinless. The whole New Testament testifies to that. Only Jesus is sinless. Um, but if we, uh, what, what Paul seems to be saying here <clears throat> seems to be similar to what James says when, when he says something like, if you could rein your tongue, right? If you could, if you could rein your tongue and not say anything that you shouldn't say, then you can keep your whole body in check, right? Um, Paul seems to be saying something similar here. If we could, if we could live without grumbling and disputing, then hey, we would be, we would stand out. We would be blameless, not sinlessly perfect, but we would be. Um, you know, we would be standing out from the rest of the world, right? So, um, 
He says, you, you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now, this is part of the difficulty, <clears throat> right? Is that we are surrounded by people who don't belong to God, who are still enslaved to sin, who don't have, they're not new creations, they don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And so uh, some of them are, are naturally cheerful, but many of them uh, grumble and complain like everybody else. And so we're often surrounded by people, work with people, live with people, listen to people on TV or radio or whatever who grumble and dispute all the time. And it's very easy for that to bleed over into our lives. That's, that's the, the generation, the, the people that we live among, right? But we've been saved out of that, not because we're better, but God has uh, changed us. God has saved us. God has made us new. And so now he calls us to live differently than that. And to the degree that we do, we're going to stand out in the midst of that crooked and twisted generation. Um, he's, that's why he says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 5 um, about how we are to uh, let our light shine and, and uh, be like a city on a hill and so forth. So um, we're to uh, let our light shine, he says, so that people may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the one in Matthew 5. Um, so... Um, we're to let our light shine, and one of the ways we do that is by not grumbling, not complaining, not disputing. Right? Um, and then he says, verse 16, uh, how do we do that? Um, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. In other words, it's it's not just that we're we're not grumbling or we're not complaining but that we are living this life as we hold fast to the word of life. In other words, as we hold fast to the gospel. This is not mere moralism like, you know, here's your list of things not to do. Don't grumble, don't argue, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. And if you don't do all those things, then you'll be children of God and God will love you and uh, accept you into heaven. That's, that's moralism. That's a false gospel. That's not what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is, as you hold on to the word of life, as you cling to the gospel, the good news that God has loved you in Christ, that Christ has given his life for you to forgive your sin, that he was raised from the dead to secure your eternal salvation in the presence of God, Holding on to those truths, we get rid of, we strive to put to death all grumbling, all disputing. We strive to live lives that are blameless and innocent, that are not shaped by the crooked and twisted generation that we live in, but that instead are uh, transformed into the likeness of Christ as our minds are renewed. I'm sort of paraphrasing Romans 12, 1 and 2 there. Um, that's what he's saying. Holding on to the word of life, holding on to the gospel, our life ought to be changed in these ways, right? Um, and then he he says there at the end of verse sixteen, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. In other words, I want you guys to hold fast to the gospel, so that when Jesus comes back, it'll be evident that you guys really were saved when I came and preached the gospel to you. Otherwise, if you give up, if you abandon the gospel, if you uh, relinquish 
uh, the word of life and you mold, you know, meld back into the uh, crooked and twisted generation and become just like everybody else and, and stop following Christ, then my labor there in Philippi will have been in vain. It will have come to nothing. And that's not what Paul wants, right? Paul wants to uh, be able to be proud, not in the sinful sense, which is how we normally use that word, but in the the good sense, like we talk about um, a proud father showing off his newborn child or something like that, the, the good, healthy kind of pride. Paul wants to have that kind of pride on the day of Christ when the Philippians are presented before uh, Jesus and they hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And Paul wants to stand there beaming with pride saying, those are my kids. I shared the gospel with them. I got to be the one that God used to bring them to faith in Christ. And they held fast to the end. They weren't perfect, but they didn't give up and they didn't turn back. And I just rejoice in them. Right? That's the kind of thing that he's talking about. Um, and then in verse 17, he doesn't, doesn't necessarily draw a whole lot of attention to this. Um, but he, in verse 17, shows himself to be doing the kinds of things that he's calling the Philippians to do. Right. So he calls him to do all things without grumbling or complaining. And then he says in verse 17, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. In other words, if my life is spent, a drink offering is poured out on the altar, on the sacrifice, you can't get it back. Once you pour it out, it's gone. He says, if I pour out my life, if my life is spent for your sake, for your faith, I'm not going to grumble about that. I'm not going to argue over that. I'm going to rejoice. Right? I'm going to be glad that I had the privilege and the opportunity of doing that. So he's, he's giving himself as a model of someone who's not grumbling or complaining. And not only that, he's giving himself as uh, an example of someone who's been molded by the example of Christ. Remember, he told us to have our that mind in us that we have in Christ Jesus. Uh, we already have it. We're to live it out. And then he, he talked about how Jesus humbled himself. He left heaven. He was born as a man. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and so on. Jesus humbled himself and gave up his life for our good, for our salvation. He was not thinking only of himself, but he was thinking also of others. Right? He was not um, uh, acting from selfish ambition or conceit, like Paul talks about in verse 3, but in humility he counted others more significant than himself. And Paul is, has been so shaped by that example of Jesus, uh, his humility and service and self-sacrifice, that Paul is now... Uh, doing the same thing. Again, he's, he's saying in verse 17, I will give myself, I will pour myself out for your sake, for your good, and and not complain about it. I, I, I'm glad to do it. I'll rejoice with you. I rejoice if, if you believe and persevere in the faith to the end because I poured out my life for you, That I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm glad to do that. 
And then he says in verse 18, Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So you, you should be glad about that too. Um, so Paul uh, is going to give two more examples. We won't get to them tonight. Two more examples of this Christ-like character in Timothy and Epaphroditus. Not to you know boast about himself or anything like that, but to give us uh, another example to follow. When we look at the example of Jesus... And how he humbled himself. We rightly, when we see that example, we rightly think there's no way I could live up to that. Right? There's no way I can humble myself as much as Jesus humbled himself. That's true. You can't. Right? We are still called to humble ourselves like Jesus humbled himself. But we can't do it to the same degree that he did. Because he's God. And he's perfect. But we can still be shaped by that example. We still can become little Christs, Christians, right? Living like Jesus. And so Paul gives us three more tangible examples, three lives that are more like our lives because they're just humans. They're not God in the flesh like Jesus. And yet their lives have been shaped by this humble example of Jesus. And so Paul gives us those as well so that we can see what it looks like when a normal person like you and I is has their life transformed and shaped by the gospel and by the example of Christ. And so Paul's is one of those, willing to give himself for the good of the church, willing to give himself for the good of others, pouring out his life. That's the kind of um, life that Christ has called us to and that Paul is exhorting us to. Right? So um, none of us do this perfectly, right? We can all be honest about that. None of us uh, can live our lives without ever grumbling or disputing. But we can fight against our sin, and we can recognize it as sin, and we can confess it to the Lord. And the Bible says whenever we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we can keep Uh, laboring and striving, knowing that God is at work in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure, not giving up hope because we know He's at work in us as we strive to put to death all those inclinations to grumble and to fight and to argue so that we might become more and more like Christ, so that we might follow His example, so that others might see in us the power of the grace of God, the way that He has changed us and saved us and made us new, and so that ultimately people might be pointed beyond us, because we are still so imperfect, beyond us to Jesus, and they might see in Him not only the ultimate example of what true, humble, self-sacrificial love looks like, but that they might see in Him the God who loved them and took on flesh and took their place, took our place on the cross and died for our sin and rose for our salvation so that they might uh, trust in Him and believe and be saved. That's our hope. And that would be a reason for great joy.